morning, people of the internet. You are listening to Debbie Radio 79.5 FM, a podcast where we discuss the movie Gross Point Blank one minute at a time. I'm your co-host, Hugh David. And I'm your other co-host, Dev Sodega. And on today's minute, we are going to be watching minute 18 of Gross Point Blank. And joining us on today's show, we have got Catcher Later, GPB fan extraordinaire. <laughs> hey, Catcher. <laughs> so uh we are back to the ambassador bridge and we kind of left it hanging yesterday with uh this this series of cuts so you wanna speak a little bit more about this i don't know if i have a big thought on this one yet okay yeah i don't know i i feel like this is a really good narrative setting what up it did just put it sorry as soon as it it switched i did remember something is that everybody's relationships in this are somewhat uh not contentious necessarily but everybody's pretty cranky with each other antagonistic yes yeah yeah and and the fbi guys are no different like the very Mm. first time we're introduced to them they're trying to outdo each other you know Mm -hmm. and um so yeah, that was my thought on on that part was that even they're bickering. Yeah. Even they feel that frenetic energy of things that are happening and they're at it mm-hmm. as well. Stephen Laudner and Kenneth McCullers. Yeah. Nice. Uh, they are in and of course the uh incredibly famous Hank Azaria at this mm. point. Um voice of many Simpsons things, somewhat mm-hmm. controversially for those of us of a South Asian descent, but um, yes, you and I have had that conversation before. We have had that conversation. I, uh, I am not going to bring that up here because we don't. I, there's a, there's a name we could mention and could probably get into a, a lot of trouble with for dissing him, but we're not going to. Um, but you're right. Like there is a very uh, kind of not tense relationship, but somewhat confrontational between them. Um, in 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 every sequence of the film, they they kind of it feels like they've got that like love hate relationship. These two, they clearly work together a lot, mm-hmm. um, but they also like kind of butt heads a bit, and they think they have different ways of doing things. And it just even in this like you know few seconds of clip, you you get that sense so clearly. It's it's very once again like very concisely well communicated without feeling like it's belaboring the point or exposition yeah. to the lowest common denominator. In general, I love the lack of exposition in <laughs> this. Like that is a very gross point blank specific value to me is that um, is I don't like things being over explained to me, even if I mm-hmm. don't like you mentioned before, get it the first time and that's okay in this movie. I, I appreciate that. I mm. like not being talked down to and over-explained, and yep. I enjoy mm-hmm. all of that. And and yeah. for me, it's a big part of, of why I love this movie. Yeah. I've mentioned as much, but it's also part of why I would go back and rewatch this movie, because Absolutely. for many, many reviewings of it, I was discovering a little bit here and there, catching mm-hmm. words that I didn't quite make out previously, understanding mm-hmm. narrative elements that have been brought in before the fact without giving you any insight as to why they were there. Um, so yeah, no, I totally, totally agree with you on that one. And with their style, we, I mean, I'm going to say we, we accepted it. 
Mm-hmm. We accepted that this was how this movie was going to go and this movie was going to flow. And it just doesn't let you go. Yep. There's not mm-hmm. time to think, oh, should I have gotten some popcorn or, you know, whatever it is. You're not, mm. those intrusive thoughts don't happen during this particular movie because it's going at such a clip and there's so much information. And I, I appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> and you know what? Generally speaking, I do like those long director's cuts of yes, movies. Yes. I wonder if actually in this case that might be to the detriment of the movie. Because oh, so... because they seem so tight, it's so one thing after another after another. And if it gave you a little bit more breathing space in it, I wonder if you you'd really notice that, that it wasn't holding quite as well. I, I do believe. notice that um, this is this does happen to be a minute where I do did have a thought and I have had it before uh, briefly is how do hitmans hitmans how do hitmen just hitmans how do they get around and then I realized that this is pre 911 exactly and so that's how they got around because I was like yep. how did how did blank get there with all this, this weaponry in his hotel room and I was like pre 911 you could just yeah bring yeah. your job with you but yeah. yeah and did he rent that car Oh, we, we, we've had this discussion, actually. Have you? Kind of, okay. No, no, it's really glad you bring it up again, because actually it hadn't occurred to me. I was assuming that uh, Martin's car is his, the one we see him in earlier in the film in L.A., is his car because of the, 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 the phone, the facts, all these things built into it. But Dev was pointing out at the time that actually, why would it have to be his? Maybe he just rented the latest, you know, business appropriate. I think for for me and maybe for you, Catch, this is a symptom of the type of car that he's driving. Mm. Because if you see a Lincoln town car, which is, I think I'm pretty sure the make and model, is Mm. the assumption is that it's either for government work Mm. or it's a rental. Because those are the two things that Lincoln town cars are used for. Yeah. Um, And and now you've got the the, uh, Suburbans, which have kind of taken the place of this. But... Black Lincoln Town Car screams government slash business rental. Yeah. And so I just assumed that it's it's like, you know, seeing somebody being driven in a yellow cab, you wouldn't assume that it's their own private cab with their own private chauffeur. You just assume it's a New York taxi cab. Um, This is it's that kind of thing uh, that, you know, he's driving it himself. So I'm assuming he's just rented it. But at the same time, like it's, it's clearly the same make and model here as it was in LA. So maybe he just road tripped it. Um, mm. Did he have that kind of time? <laughs> See, this is why well, we can't it could be, it could be part of that procrastination gambit, right? Mm. Except she, Marcella gives him flights, right? He's got, yeah, exactly. So clearly not the case, but um, it, de- it definitely feels that way. And uh, at the time we were discussing this year, I don't think I'd really, twigs that he was living in LA. So mm. in that in that mm. sense, honestly, he probably still used a rental because he would want mm. to make it a bit harder to track it back to him, yep. right? Because he was mm. just leaving a thing. I also have to say that the long shot of downtown Detroit with uh, the tower buildings mm-hmm. really annoys me that I can now see the helicopter blades of the helicopter that was that the cameraman was operating out of. Um. And every time it comes <laughs> up on the screen, because we've got the minute on loop, it's it's irritating me a little bit more. <laughs> really? Like, how else were they going to take the shot pre-drone? <laughs> I mean, they could have just had the, the helicopter a little bit higher. 
and and not had the blades in the shot. Well, let them know. Like the ambassador bridge. The ambassador bridge shot is beautiful. It's I mean it's a shame it's split across the two minutes, but it is a beautiful shot. Maybe maybe the stock footage was originally shot so that it would be masked at a different um, aspect ratio, and you wouldn't then see the blades. Thank you. Yeah, maybe I don't know. Like really, <laughs> I know we're doing minute by minute, but really, you're going to complain about stock footage. <laughs> in my defense, you, there's very little I complain about in this movie, so I've got to. That's true. <laughs> very true. Very true. But dude, it's stock footage. Like you. Stock footage day. <laughs> all right. All right. Okay. So we. Where are we? We are uh, looking at. So yes, we're coming in through a montage of shots that will eventually uh, reveal us to not be anywhere near Detroit whatsoever. Um, but, you know, they're, they're the, 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 big, uh, the big landmarks are, are there for people who don't know Detroit and don't, and, and, or, or enough to pick up on that. And if you don't know, that's fine, because at the beginning of the minute, uh, Grosso is still talking to the FBI and he tells you where you're going. <laughs> Because yeah. he's saying you need to go to Detroit to do this, so you know. It, it, for those of us who are not, uh, who don't aren't familiar with American uh, geography, that works just as well. And it's a clever film like that in in talking with what you guys were saying about the editing. You know, that's it. Armitage understood that if he kept, if he'd left, if he hadn't, if he'd left that scene with Grosser and then cut to it, it would be so much more normal, traditional. I guess you know. Um, I mean, Beverly Hills Cop does it quite well you know where mm-hmm. it's like you know you're going to Beverly Hills and then like cut you know we're no longer in Detroit and bang we're in Beverly Hills and the music changes and everything changes yeah. he would have done that but because he's had he's trimmed it that much more and he's overlapped the dialogue it feels incredible you know it just feels as you say as you said earlier catch you know the, the speed at which this is moving the rapidity mm-hmm. and as you were saying Dev as well you know it's just it's just the way he's, he's just crammed everything in yeah. Um, but yeah you get all of this information delivered there's no repetition. There's no time to come back on it. There's no point where they're, they're, he's saying, hey, just in case you didn't notice, boom. You know, It's like, no, no, no. We're just going to tell you and get on with it. Because... And honestly, even with Beverly Hills Cop, it, it does something like this, but I feel less elegantly because I think mm. it has that oh, yeah. scene of, of Eddie Murphy kind of you know doing the sightseeing bit. Of, yep, like, yep, yep, when he's looking out the car. Right, yeah, which yeah, is exactly yeah. what Crocodile Dundee does as well. Yeah. Like everyone else a much does that. more like narrative way of doing it. Whereas this is just using those interstitial shots. Yeah. yeah because they can't step. afford to do anything else. <laughs> right. But also I feel like it, it gets you there quicker. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. less fourth wall breaking. Yep. Uh, yep. It's it's just contextualizing what you're seeing in a very elegant way. Um and like that's something I always find impressive in movies because I don't really remember ever having consciously seen any kind of education on like this is how you set a location mm. right like in a in a purely visual way without any narrative without any acting huh. like purely constructing it from b-roll you you know you've always got like those those single broad sweeping vistas but this is doing it in a more energetic fast pace cut to this cut to this cut to this cut to this in a way that you see the things you acknowledge them but you're not overwhelmed and it 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 feels like it's kind of like big bridge big city 
along the city down into it just leads you in a narratively it leads you into this suburb of detroit so i think that may partly be a fact when i say it's a function of budget i don't mean it's not doing it in a cinematic way what i mean is uh movies tend to especially bigger budget movies tend to spend more on you know showing you certain scenes and setting certain scenes because they have the money to say look we're actually there Mm -hmm. right stock footage is especially in this way is not just for the lower budget films that's television yeah, that's very much is well yeah. less so now, but you know back in yeah, the day, it's, that it's, was a, it's a title sequence for a TV show. Absolutely, this, this, yeah. this, this clip is absolutely, you know, and all right. those and, and then shows. it's got that zooming in on the car. You can't see who's mm. in the car, but it's meant to give you that impression. And then the next mm. shot is actually from the wrong side of the windshield, so that you mm -hmm. show Martin mm -hmm. in the same type of car. So clearly, it's the same car in the same place, and you've just mm. been. Like you know, you're cut in a way that you're not consciously seeing it. The um, thing is, that was like a that was like a standard thing in spy films and spy fiction. You know, like all those ITV shows in the late fifties and early sixties that were like, you know, they're supposed to be in wherever I don't know Geneva or somewhere, and like, you know, they are they are sitting in a studio in Buckinghamshire, you know, in a fake cafe and everything. So you had the shot of Geneva, which was the stock footage, and then now we're clearly not there. And um, I'm actually thinking of a specific episode of danger man because <laughs> apart from the fact that i used to work for the company that put that out i used to also live in geneva and so it used to it really did my head in when i was watching back this episode and i was like wait what <laughs> and then realized that everyone does that every 60s show did this you know um and it's one of those lovely things that kind of i don't know american tv did, did it a bit with American locations, but when you don't live in America, you, you took a while to go, oh, wait, this is all being filmed in L.A., and we just have the stock footage of other places, right? Like like Stephen J. Cannell's stuff in the 80s, or like the A-Team and everything, you know, it's just all shot in L.A., but there's always scenes any of where they're supposed to be. Um, and I, I remember thinking... I remember we got we got to that point in the nineties where everyone was like, oh, okay, no, no, we can afford a bit more for television. We'll go on locations, make it look a bit better. And then in the early noughties, we we got Alias, and I loved the fact that Alias was just like, yep, yeah, unapologetic about it. We are just going to do it the way we always did it, old school. You know, we are not leaving LA, but you will be in Mexico and India and Turkey. <laughs> I love that stuff, um, and I feel like it's appropriate for a hitman movie. To have that little bit of like spy movie, I, honestly, magic. ironically, I'd not realized that Alias was shot in LA. I, for some reason, I thought it was part of the Toronto lot. Oh, it I might have been. been. It might yeah. have been. I may be wrong, but the point is that it went all over the world, yeah. supposedly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, um, I mean, yeah. Just, I love that. I just used to find that so funny. <laughs> so uh, we should also talk in this minute for for folks who are now what eighteen episodes in with us and still oh wondering. Gosh. Why the hell we've gone Debbie Radio 79.5 FM? Oh, yeah. 79.5 FM is not a real radio broadcast signal. Thank um, God. It, you see Martin dialed into 79.5 FM, which is WGPM mm -hmm. FM, which is the radio station that Debbie is uh, the DJ of. So mm -hmm. uh, the reason for our episode name is, is taken, unsurprisingly, straight out of the movie. And this is the the minute that we get to see that as he's he's tuning his mm. his radio. Uh, yeah. For those of you that are uh, younger than millennial, uh, tuning a radio, <laughs> what you had to do uh, before you just push. There are people younger than. <laughs> wow. 
wow. It, it saddens me that these these uh, these things have to be explained. But did you notice? There's also was the in the dashboard. There's the uh, cassette tape punch in. Yeah, I'm, I'm cassette tapes. But um, again, to explain <laughs> that right. <laughs> Let's just mix that. They, they <laughs> well, not- I, I can't remember what band I was looking at the other day on Facebook, and they were like, oh, 500 limited copies of a new album on cassette. And I was like, oh, okay, we're back around again. Yeah. Here <laughs> we go again. Say it's time for uh, some magnetic strip that decays naturally over time. Just my yeah. favorite. Just my favorite yeah. media. Yeah. I had yeah. over time yeah. properly. If, if I had not spent as much money as I did on uh VHS and cassettes and audio cassettes, I would probably be a lot more. I can see them today. behind you here. I can see <laughs> oh, I know, I know. There's still some there. There's still some there. There are but the, and and that is just a whole commentary and where we are with media at the moment that these are things that I can um there is something that I cannot get on DVD or Blu-ray. It has never advanced from that era. Those have, thankfully, wow. but that one hasn't. That one there, the only way you can see that still is to have that British VHS because there's no American one. There's no American DVD of it. The American DVD set tried to license it and couldn't get it. It's just, wow. I can't bring myself to get rid of it. It's stupid, I know, right? I just No, it's not stupid. It's cool. I think it's Thank really you. cool. Thank yeah. you. I think, I, I, I think I, it makes I, for a great recording for those not watching YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> visual cues. Yeah, quick, quickly for the for the people that are listening to us only, behind me is, uh, in my office, there's a couple of crates, stuff full of VHS tapes still. I was simply pointing out um, a couple of them. There's a, an old mini American miniseries called Something Is Out There, which had John Dykstra uh, effects and starred Mariam Davo from uh, James Bond's Living Daylights. Uh, it was a miniseries and then got turned into a single season series. The season you can get on DVD, but you can't get the miniseries. And the other one is Max Headroom, which was a uh, short-lived... It was, a, it was a British pilot, sci-fi pilot, by the two guys who would... Uh, uh, Rocky Morton and Annabelle Jangle, who would go on to make the Super Mario Brothers movie, which killed their careers stone dead. Um <laughs> They made this. They were they were given this task of making this pilot to introduce this character who was going to be used as a, v, a video jockey, as a VJ on a music show, and he was called Max Headroom. And the the, the idea was that he was an AI. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Canadian actor Matt Freo was made up and shot in a cool video way, and the idea was that he was an AI. So they created this backstory for him, which was an hour long post-apocalyptic media satire movie that they made for Channel 4. And Channel 4, this was early days, this was the 80s, Channel 4 like, yeah, you can go do that. <laughs> like, just make an entire movie just to explain this one character who's going to present music videos. And the Amer- American TV, love it was so like cult and well-received that they it was made into a TV show in America, quite a big budget show, whilst in one season, cancelled. Anyway, those of you who are interested in these things, those, you can, you can Shout Factory have done a Sorry, Shout TV have done the American version of Max Headroom. I own the British VHS of the original uh, pilot, which is signed by Matt, by Matt Friero, by the way. That's the other thing. I got him to sign oh, it. At a con. Yeah, I, I, I met him at a con I was working at. And so I and, and I said to him, you know, would you mind signing this? He's like, I can't believe you've got that. And I was like, yeah, I'm still hanging on to this. He's like, that is so cool. Um, because, yeah, that's the only way you can see it. So I do think there's an, the, the, the technology is interesting because we, we've said before that Gross Point Blank as a movie floats between different eras. Like you can almost 
like the lighting is often noirish in the offices mm -hmm. yeah. you know uh there's a lot of uh before well, while we're in a people in la people wear suits and you know the style of the suits is slightly you know arkin uh, arkin suits as dr oatman could be from almost any era mm -hmm. of males male fashion and cinema um martin blanks is a little bit baggier a little bit 80s 90s but it's not so outrageous that you couldn't get away with it now um but it's the it's little things like this tech it's the cassette like now the cassettes are coming back suddenly this film works again do you know what i mean you know <laughs> yeah what I mean? It just, it's it's just so odd. It's going to, it's, this film is going to continue to float bit by bit. It, I suppose the thing that's probably the most different is because even the insides of schools are not that different now. Like they yeah. still have, you still have corridors and lockers and all that stuff. So I guess maybe it's the radio station is the mm, thing that's going to tie it to the computers. The well, self. like you guys said in a previous episode, Grocer would still be using that kind That's of true. But there is one on uh, Marcel's desk as well, which That's is true. That's true. Related. But, I mean, generally speaking, this is a pretty hard-to-date film in, in, in so many ways. Mm. Um, He's so young there. There he is. It's a baby, it looks like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It is that weird thing, isn't it, when we look back and see people that's like, oh my god. Um, but yeah. What's the, the name of the actor playing Kenneth McCullers as well? I forgot his name. Oh, um, K. Todd Freeman. K. Todd Freeman. So I feel like he actually is one of the standout actors in a funny way because he has been set up to basically always appear alongside Hank Azaria and that's that is a mm. tall order yeah mm. um you know Hank Azaria is even at this time you know pretty well known uh mm. not necessarily for his face but obviously for his voice mm. acting work and he is mm. quite you know talented in all of these ways and he does an excellent job in this but I it's actually uh Kenneth McCullers that I always enjoy seeing in these conversations mm. Mm. And and um, K. Todd Freeman really sells that. He really gives this character this kind of, yeah, I know everything kind mm -hmm. of attitude, um, but also like not too far up himself in, in that regard. Mm -hmm. You know, he's the mm -hmm. one that sat in the car brushing his teeth because they've <laughs> gone out to, on a stakeout like first thing in the morning and he's clearly not quite gotten around to that before <laughs> yeah. they're actually having to follow after Martin Blank. <laughs> Um, and and is you know, t you know, telling jokes halfway through brushing his teeth as well. Um, mm. So yeah, I I actually do really enjoy his character, and I almost wish that there was a little bit more of him on screen. I mean, he's an interesting guy because I suddenly realised how many TV shows he did in the nineties. I I saw right, like he hadn't kind of clicked with me, uh, and and it, just before Grass Point Blank, he was in the TV spin-off version of Dangerous Minds as a regular oh, but then after gross point blank he starts to get into some really like he gets multi-episode arcs which is a bit of a rare thing back then um and i think the one that most geek fans will know to him from is buffy because he he was mr trick yeah. that's right um <laughs> from buffy but i love that <laughs> yeah. there was there was some prosthetic makeup on, on his character but once yeah. you see it again you'll be like oh my god it's yeah yeah, yeah. i mean i love the fact he's still working he's still doing interesting stuff 
Mm. Um, I mean, he's been in some very interesting, t- like high quality TV shows. He's been in The Blacklist, uh, a series of unfortunate events, The OA. You know, he's, yeah. he's the guy's working still in in good. I mean, I like the range of what he does as well. Um, interesting guy, but as you say, he's got a very specific role here, and it's it's. I think you were you were saying in a previous episode, um, Catcher, about the confrontation. Was it this episode about the confrontational nature of these relationships we see in these in the film? And these two guys, I mean, is this again? Is this like a satire of the typical, you know, buddy buddy cop thing, or is it more like a kind of verging on the real version of what you would think these guys are? actually like or do you know what i mean i love the fact that we're never quite sure right we're never quite sure um and they both play it like that they both play that lovely balance of might be realistic maybe or maybe we're just pushing this just a little bit too far yeah married couple-ish almost a little bit of that yeah very much more so i think if they're relationship extended further it would like Mm. in in a few years they're going to be like an old married couple but they are well (laughs) on their way here (laughs) yeah yeah i mean they just need to do a few more stakeouts together and a few more uh, more motel nights in in one room with two beds (laughs) yeah oh dear with the cliches the cliches but based in reality sadly oh dear cliches for a reason Right. Yeah, very true, very true, and I think that's that's the other thing about this film, isn't it? Is is every time we hear the cliche, it does something different with it and reminds us why these cliches are there. As you say, you know, these things are based in in in, in things that actually make sense in the context, or, or or like even in the twisted way of Martin Martin going, "Yeah, I'm your therapist." Oh, this guy on the back of the book I just read. Let's go and hit hit him up and remember, <laughs> I, I've got a gun. You know, he just kind of seems within his own framework. There's a logic, mm-hmm. yeah, to that. You know, um, that and the cliche of having the, the hitman with the therapist, which again, you know, will become a cliche at this point. There's like more and more people doing it, but you know, it's 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 still something that Gross Point Blank pulls something very different out of the hat from compared to, say, for example, The Sopranos or Analyze This. You know, yeah. it does its own thing very well. I was just going to ask you about Analyze This. Do you know the year that one was released? I know it was after this. I think it was a year or two years after this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, because we did actually episode. talk about that in the early minutes with Dr. Oatman and how this time period you've got this, you've got um, uh, Analyze This, um, Analyze That obviously came later, and um, The Sopranos all of which are playing on that criminal psychiatrist That's dynamic, true. but in a much more real world setting than for instance, like silence of the lambs did. Right. Mm. Which was I mean, analyze this is two years after gross point blank. Okay. Oh, okay. 99. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. But we've already had a few other like ser- more serious thriller based things. Like in 92, you had uh, Richard Gere doing final analysis with Kim Basinger and putting them oh, back together yeah. again. And there's a couple of other movies around the time, you know, it, it, it was, yeah, definitely a thing that was moving from the serious to the comedic, I would say, at yeah. this point, as is always the natural trend with these things, you know. Yeah. Um, All so, right. Okay. Well, 
This was minute 18 of the Gross Point Blank podcast, Debbie Radio 79.5 FM, and you now know why, uh, featuring your hosts, <laughs> co-writers, and co-producers, myself, Dev Soliger, and Hugh David. Uh, today, our guest uh, on this episode and all episodes this week, catch you later, GPB van extraordinaire. Where can people <laughs> find you online if they want to get in touch? I think they should find me at North Bay Derby. Thank that'll be on instagram facebook that'll that's that's the name of our league yeah fantastic you can find us at all good podcast players including the one you're listening to this on also on youtube twitter akx and spotify in all cases our handle is at debi radio debbie radio which as dev says you now know why we call that and our website also is debbie and once again it's debi radio and if you want to talk with us and share your thoughts about the film, uh, what you love about it, you can join us on our Facebook listeners group. That is Debbie Radio 79.5 FM Fan Club. Sure was clear that all of this was new. Concentrating hard like a little girl smoking for the first time.